Welcome to the Mosh Zone episode 83, week 83, volume 83, number fucking 83. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Joel from Baptized in Blood and that will be coming up later in the show. So as we do every week, we kick things off with a bit of feedback, a bit of what's been going on. Bit of a quiet week, but we have noticed a lot of shares and a lot of five-star ratings on iTunes. Big ups, big thank you, much love to everyone that's taken time out of their schedule to do so. It's vital and much appreciated. For everyone else, if you've got some time this week, help us out, spread the word about the show, tell someone about the show, share the show on your social medias. And if you use iTunes podcasts, help us out with a five-star or a one-star rating and also help us out with a review. Tell us how good we are. Tell us how much we fucking suck. Whatever it is, help us out. Help the show grow. So enough of that. Let's get into the part of the show we're all tuned into for. And this week I spoke with Joel from Baptized in Blood. First things first, thank you so much, Joel, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. To say that Joel and Baptized in Blood wrote one of my all-time favourite albums would be a big fucking understatement. To get him on the show meant a lot for me as a big-time fan. And it was also great to get to know the man, the band, and everything else that happened with that band. Thank you again, Joel. I really, really, really appreciated it. That chat with Joel is coming up now. Hey! What's going on? What's going on, dude? Not too much. Finally, eh? Yeah, well, first thing i got to say, this fucking album, man, like... (laughs) Fuck. Dude, I remember this coming out and I've been obsessed with it since, man. Like, so I crank it at least once a week. I've got a lot of like memories connected to it. So it was always a goal when I started this podcast that I had to get you on to not only talk about the band, but like what the fuck happened kind of thing. Sure. Um, sure. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you very much for. Uh, expanding my ego a little bit further. But, <laughs> that's what we're um, here for. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's uh, that's awesome, man. No, I really do appreciate it. And I'm always flattered by uh, just hearing from people that appreciated what we did, and uh, especially as far away as you Australia, guys. Australia, yeah, yeah. Way across the pond, right? So, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, no shit. No, that's amazing. Um, we're in the future too. So, I mean, yeah. So also trippy, very trippy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you're Canadian, obviously. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Born and born and bred. Um, I, uh, I never really, um, moved outside of Ontario. Um, but I had moved all over. I was uh, only child, single mother, and um, we were constantly on the go. So um, a lot of that played into just who I am today, what I became. Um, a lot of my influences lyrically came from just 
the pains of growing up an only child that's uh sort of you know that constant battle with myself trying to find out who i am and um you know i when i was younger i i always appreciated music i, I remember my mom uh, giving me Michael Jackson's Bad and Thriller Ooh. on cassettes, and I rocked the shit out of that stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I always appreciated um, a lot of different music, like I, I just music in general. I, I, I found a love for it early on. And my mom signed me up for a Christian boys choir Whoa. when I was maybe six or seven years old. And um, that was my first recording. First time in, the, in a studio recording uh, a cassette. <laughs> and, uh, and we actually toured around Ontario with like 28 other kids my age um, singing and gospel it, tunes and wow. weird shit <laughs> that I couldn't remember. But I always loved it. And then I, you know, I took that uh, love for that kind of music into schools where I um, I continued to sing. I, I just I just loved getting up in front of people and doing that. I couldn't say a speech to save my life, but I could I could express myself through music. And um, I remember as I became a shithead teen, um, I really wanted to play bass. My whole goal in life was to be a bassist. And my mother would not allow me to be a bassist. Uh, she wouldn't buy me a guitar, nothing. And uh, she always said that, um, you know, she wanted me to have take music lessons. And then fair enough, whatever. Um, but I felt the bass was, you know, was the dumb, dumb stick. You don't need, you don't, nobody needs to teach you how to play it. It's very simple. For me, for me, it was always in my head, mm. the music. And um, I could visualize it, whereas... Uh, a lot of people need to see it. I can see it in my head. And uh, so I took music lessons for about four weeks and I didn't do well. I can't read the notes. Yeah. I can see it in my head, but I can't read music. And so that was the end of that dream. And then, so now I start getting really depressed. I'm really down on it. I'm not going to be able to play bass. I'm never going to be a bassist. And so I start like failing at school. I'm doing really shitty, making really, really dumb choices. And my grandma pulls me aside and she says, if you pull up your marks and figure your shit out, I will buy you a bass and an amp and you can hey. be the person. And I'm like, shit, this is amazing. My <laughs> own grandmother is going to go against my mother's wishes to make me happy. And that was super fucking cool. So, um... Yeah, after getting kicked out of one high school and finally getting that ultimatum, I figured shit out. And Grandma bought me the bass, and I became the bassist that I always wanted to be. The only problem was is that I really suck at bass. So. Why? Why bass though? <laughs> like of all instruments, like it is like it, they say it's the dumbed down version of guitar. What about right. bass brought was your dream? What about it? <sighs> I really loved like Chris Novoselic was was huge for me, right? Um, Nirvana was massive. Um, Mike Dirt from Green Day was everything, man. That guy played a grabber. I was like, this is the sickest fucking bass <laughs> I have ever seen. I had posters of Mike Dirt. I had posters of Chris Novoselic. Um, just, I just, I loved it. It was so low. It was so beefy and like. 
the thunderous, like just aspect of it. I just loved it. I just love me. Like I said, I, I, I love music in general, but the idea that I could be the backbone, mm. you know, like I, I just, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then after numerous failed attempts through my teens and early twenties to become a bassist in the band, which clearly didn't work out. <laughs> um, I just met up with Josh and we, him and I have a dynamic unlike anything that I've ever seen or ever encountered in my entire life. Um, Josh has a way of listening to me that nobody else one would ever consider or uh, be willing to put in the time and effort that it it takes to actually um, figure out what's going on in my head. But once we sat down together, it was like, it just, things just started spewing out of both of us. And we figured out that we were this dynamic duo that couldn't be stopped no matter what we were doing. It just sounded fucking way too cool. And I think that was part of what made baptized. What it was, was that, we weren't doing it to impress anybody else other than ourselves. Mm. Um, it started off as a complete joke. Like it wasn't, it was never meant to um, go as far as it did ever. Uh, we never set goals for it to be huge. We never um, dreamt that it would ever be anything more than just Josh and I sitting there writing music with our, some of our other best friends. And then, Fuck, man, it really snowballed pretty quick. Go, so got, going back a little bit before we get too much into the the baptized things, what, you know, sure. you're saying you're really into music. So, you yeah. know, you, you're getting into Michael Jackson, you're discovering, you know, Nirvana, these kind of things. But sure. what, what was the step that brought you from that kind of music to the more alternative or the more extreme? And then the other part of that question is, why the extreme? Did you feel like you belonged? Was there something you connected with? Like, what brought you sure, into sure. it? Um, okay, so a couple memories, a couple mm-hmm. key memories. Um, I was chilling out with my buddy Roy, and we were, he, I would always go over to his place. His place, his dad had like the coolest porn stash in the basement <laughs> that nobody was supposed to know about. We learned how to skateboard together. Uh, but melancholy and the infinite sadness was the first time I'd ever actually heard somebody get so passionate about music that they would start to scream. Um, Billy Corrigan, uh, with bullet with butterfly wings and zero for maybe two of the most important tracks off that album at that point key moment in time in my life like aside from obviously you know opening up to nirvana like earlier nirvana stuff um and like territorial pissings and school and like just grunge was everything to me so but to hear that passion in the vocals i was like what the hell like i i loved the idea of um faster and heavier and all this like I, like I said I really like the idea of being a bassist I really um, 
like the idea of just heavier uh, tones. I, like I said, I'd grown up singing it, Christian gospel piano tunes and all this other shit. Um, and then I got into Michael Jackson and then uh, <laughs> my dad gave me an MC Hammer tape and like Vanilla Ice and Crisscross and like, I was like, fuck this shit, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait a second. Now I'm hearing like guitar, new, like different guitar tones and uh, different ways of expressing yourself vocally. I was like, fuck man, this is huge. And then, so around the same time, this is when BMG came out. So mm -hmm. BMG over here, I'm sure you guys probably had the same thing, 10 CDs for a buck or, or penny or whatever it was. My buddy, Chris, <laughs> orders a bunch of CDs or tapes. I don't care what it was from BMG and mistakenly gets a napalm death. Hey. And I'm like, none of us have ever heard anything like this in our entire fucking lives. Um, and he pops this thing in and I was like, what the fuck? Get this fucking shit out of here. This is insane. This guy sounds like he's murdering babies. Like what the fuck is with this guy? I'm like, God. And, but that always stuck with me. I was like, it was so fast and it was so heavy. And, um, again, around, so fast forward a couple years from that, um, I'm really into skate punk at this point in my life. So I've evolved from grunge, which is like, you know, all encompassing. It's my, it's my in, entire life to all of a sudden now I'm, I'm like, I'm really into like Pennywise and Lagwagon and fucking, um, reset, big wig, 10 foot pole, like the, like just skate punk fast like the music just kept on getting faster i was more and more impressed with how fast things were and i was like but it just didn't have the aggression that i was searching for it was pissed off and the, mm. the message was very clear that everybody was like fuck the man fuck the establishment fuck anybody who doesn't believe in you and i that i that was a huge confidence boost because I was like, you know, I'm still trying to find myself at this point in my life. And now I think I'm, I'm finally in this groove and then Napster hits yeah. and Napster for an only child, a kid just sitting there with his computer screen and trying to put myself out into the world and find just new cool shit. Uh, you know, obviously I found shit like Pantera and um, just just like heavier, but still not as aggressive as I needed it to be. But until the day I found the Black Dahlia murder, <laughs> I will never forget that as long as I live. Their demo had just popped up in my Napster downloads. And I popped that on and it changed everything. The whole game was completely different from then on out. Like it never, it never was the same after that moment because I not only found the speed, the technical aspect that I longed for, the anger, the, the like everything. It was a pure outlet. And I'd go to shows, I'd go to mosh pits and shit like that. Again, nothing really ever caught me the way that metal did. And then all of a sudden I go to metal shows and there's fucking massive circle pits and people <laughs> are just having the greatest time just releasing 
And for me, it was that release because I didn't, growing up, I didn't have anybody to release to. You know, my mother battled with alcoholism. My dad wasn't present in my life. Um, I couldn't put those things on my friends because I felt that they had burdens of their own. Right? And so I just suppressed, suppressed, suppressed until it got to the point where I couldn't suppress it any longer. And music was my only escape, music and skateboarding. That's I, all I did. I remember those days of Napster too, because it was the same for me. But I mean, I wasn't an only child, but I had the same single mother scenario and mm -hmm. all of that. And I remember how that opened a window. And it was very exciting because obviously for you, it then allowed you the access to all of this stuff. And yeah. broaden think your musical taste to, you know, Black Dahlia Murder. Going from skate punk to Black Dahlia Murder is a big, big shit. Sure, it, it was a huge leap. Like, well, I mean, keep in mind, at that same time, I was also still, uh, I, my best friend at the time, uh, Pete and his cousin Blake, they were opening so many doors to different hardcore bands for me like like madball i'll never forget the first time i heard hatebreed satisfaction is the death of desire like that's at that moment in time that album was so flawless like he gave it to me right before art class he's like this is gonna change your life and i popped that in my disc man and fuck man i can air drum that entire record front to back it, like it's 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 perfect. So all these bands were coming to me at the same time. It just so happened that Black Dahlia was the most extreme uh, case and what I had been longing for. And I'd found it around the same time as I, I'm finding all these other bands. Like I'm now getting into, um, like I said, uh, Haybreed, Bane, Converge, like mm -hmm. Converge's Jane Doe. So now I'm, I'm getting a little bit older. But I'm on my first year of college and Jane Doe comes out fuck man like i used to fall asleep to that album it was crazy it's so chaotic like how could anybody of <laughs> right mind fall asleep to jane doe they can't well i'm not right in the mind so it, it just worked for me, right so um I, again like I, it, these things these uh all the elements all these things all the points in my life that brought me to um the point of being able to meet Josh and meet all these people that I surrounded myself in this uh, town here in London, Ontario, you know, like it's, uh, I, I don't know who was looking out for me or who was trying to point me in the right direction, but I, I found what I was looking for. And um, being able to write music with like-minded individuals who actually understood what the fuck I was trying to relay was um is a beautiful thing so, i'll never take it for granted so when you're in high school you know you mentioned college there <clears throat> is yeah. music a thought in your mind to pursue or are you looking at okay music's more of a hobby and i want to get a degree in something because a lot of people during high school or college years don't usually say i'm just going to throw all my cards into music they'll probably look at something else as well Right. So um, when I was in high school, I did end up playing bass in a band. We were called the Outsiders. We, the one kid who played guitar was homeschooled. Like he had his 
parents believed full wholeheartedly and letting him do his thing. And for some reason they let me play bass. Uh, so, um, uh, so I, like, I, I, like I said, I always loved music, but no, I did. Did I think it was going to take me places? No, because I didn't believe in my skill as, um, as an artist at that point. Um, I really liked, uh, film and television. So, uh, after high school, I went to, uh, college for television broadcasting. Hmm. Um, turned out I chose, I just chose the wrong course. Essentially my, I, I think what I wanted to do was broadcast journalism and that here I am behind the camera where I feel that I may have excelled in front of the camera instead. Um, but during that time, I'm still this cocky fucking dickhead, hardcore kid listening to like poison the well. And, um, uh, no, and I'm not, now I'm into like no warning and like, like harder, heavier, um, shit. And, uh, and my buddy Pete's like, yeah, let's start this hardcore band. You can play bass. And I'm like, oh, sick. I'll play bass. <laughs> you realize I'm no good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, but that's again, that's, so that's, that's how I met Josh was through this band. And, um, all of a sudden, so I'm out of, I'm out of college. It was only two years. Like I did well, but it didn't matter. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. So at this time I'm working at a fucking submarine shop making people sandwiches Right. And I'm like 22, 23 at this point. So I don't really have too many options. Now I'm like, my mom's like, oh, you're really a failure. Like mm. you really suck at life. You're not doing well with yourself. And I'm like, something's got to come along. And, and Josh and I went out for a beer one night at this legendary place called Call the Office here in London, Ontario. They host, they're like 200 capacity room that's had like bands like radiohead and fucking blink 182 and um like everybody like it's a it's a punk uh uh dive bar uh, yeah it's a dive bar but it's 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 uh it's essential here Mm. it's always been essential so we're out on the patio me and josh and i'm like this is sick oh and then we have some other buddies with us and all the people that I've surrounded myself are all just amazing musicians and they're all in bands, but I've got this great idea. I'm going to take them from their bands and say, I like, I want to start a band. And I think that I want to sing in the band and all these years of just driving around with my buddy Pete screaming along to like grades, separate the magnets, <laughs> you know, like, old fucking hardcore shit and i i feel like i've developed a, a voice where i could actually do this and i've got the attitude like I, I was already full of myself so it was like fuck why not just give it a whirl i'm in my 20s you know fuck, i can do anything i'm unstoppable and so i was able to convince them to leave their band and start a fucking band with me and everybody in their other bands was really really mad at me but i didn't fucking care because i was like you know what this is I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do whatever the fuck I want to do at this point in my life. I make fucking sandwiches. What the fuck do I have to lose, right? <laughs> if it wasn't for that sandwich shop, though, being so slow, that's where I would sit there and write, and I'd write all the lyrics, the song, up shirts down skirts. Mm-hmm. 
the chorus, come back, baby. I want to watch you walk away again. I wrote about this like 40 year old woman who would come into my sub shop and get sandwiches and she would be walking out of that store. And that's all I was saying to myself in my head because she just, she was just gorgeous. She's like, Oh my God. I was like, come back, baby. I want to watch you walk away again. Like literal, like I was literally singing about this fucking woman walking out of my shop. And if it wasn't for that opportunity to work in this fucking dead end job, um, I wouldn't have been able to write the tunes that I was able to write because I was able to sit there in complete silence and actually dedicate the time to writing these tunes. And, um, the band, the, the band of- was, you know, you said at the start, you guys were kind of a bit joke and, yeah. or you didn't take yourself seriously. And then you mentioned yeah. those kind of songs. It was when you guys were forming, everyone was taking themselves seriously. It was yeah. no matter what genre you were in, if you were in uh, hardcore, you were a serious band. If you're metalcore, you're a serious band. Um, sure. so you're starting out and you're a bit tongue in cheek with what you're doing. Right. Um, was it a feeling of we're just going to do music for the sake of doing music? Or did you think in your head, if we're a bit different, we might get a bit of attention? It was, again, I can't impress upon it enough that we didn't do it for anybody else other than ourselves. Um, It had nothing to do with being cool or popular or um, anything. We were, we, when we originally sat down and decided to write music, it was solely based on our influences at that moment when we started writing. And one of the hugest influences we had at that very moment just happened to be uh dragon force uh, we were listening to a lot of dragon force uh bodum mm-hmm. um dark tranquility and but that tied in with bands like uh our guitarist favorite bands like strung out and like Lagwagon and shit like that like so um when we started writing we would just all sit there and laugh at these tunes. You're like, holy shit, like, this sounds fucking incredible, but it sounds incredible to us. And mm. we never really thought that it would sound incredible to anybody else until um, we started playing shows and it didn't matter where we played or how big the room was, people were losing their fucking minds. Like, <laughs> our first ever show a chick got her tooth knocked out and another, another guy just split his leg, like completely open and continued to rage. <laughs> that was our first ever show. I'm like, Whoa, this is nuts. And then we just kept playing these shows and, and, um, and friends of ours from all over Canada just were just taking notice of just, we had this aspect about us, but at the beginning we were, we, we would bring out like, party props on the stage. So I had a box with me that had a confetti cannon in it. <laughs> CO2 powered confetti cannon. We were wearing like cut off jeans, neon fucking everything. I didn't even wear shoelaces in my shoes. Cause I was like, this is the stupidest and craziest shit I can do. <laughs> and, um, and we would just get so fucking wasted that it was just like, everybody's like, this is the fucking best party I've ever been to in my entire life. And the things that we were singing about were so fucking ridiculous and cocky and bullshit it was like, it just rolled. It started to roll because there were so many 
I, like, I really don't know too many other bands out there that were doing it. But again, we weren't doing it for the praise. We were just doing it because we wanted to have a lot of fucking fun. And we were, um, we were almost, we, uh, well, sorry, we had met like a, a booking agent. Who was like, oh, we're I'm, we're prepared to give you a couple shows with Strapping Young Lad. I was like, what the Whoa. fuck? Are you kidding me? And they were going to give us a show at Toronto's Opera House. The Opera House in Toronto, to me, growing up, I had seen bands like H2O and Saves the Day play there. Like, that was a huge, monumental show for me. I'm like, I'm going to get to play this dream venue. So we got there. And then I hear the rumor that Rose, uh, this woman from Roadrunner Records, is going to be there. I'm like, fuck, shit, this is fucking awesome. So we go on on stage, and we're dressed in these neon and cut-off shorts and all this other shit. And we put on this the show of our lives, like, just having a blast, handing out demos afterwards, meeting people, and people are really responsive to it. And then I get to meet Rose. And I said, uh, hey, what, like, what did you think? And she's like, fuck, your music is amazing. I was like, all right, and? And she's like, your stage show is fucking awful. And I was like, really? Like, that is crazy to me. I was like, we think it's fucking amazing. And she's like, it's not. I'm like, oh, Oh, okay. Thanks. She's like, but, but she's seeing, she was seeing it from the perspective of somebody who's seeing and putting bands on major stages. Right. We're playing clubs to like two or 300 people who all, all they want to do is just rage and lose their shit. And, laugh their asses off at how ridiculous we are right so i said to her you know what would you mind if i just took your email and picked your brain about some shit she's like okay fine and so for the next little while we just kept in touch and um i would ask her just simple things like what did you like what didn't you like how could we improve on this this and this and and through those conversations i was able to refine who we were as a band to the well-oiled machine that eventually, you know, sought world domination. But I think that's sort of the thing is that if you get into music expecting to become the next fucking bring me the horizon or whoever the fuck is huge right now in that genre, you're never going to make it, man. Mm. You will sound exactly the same as everybody else who's a complete bullshit band. You will get lumped in with all the other people who don't give a fuck, who are trying to become rock stars. Um, I never tried. I will never try. Um, I just, I did it for the love of playing the music and being in a band that I genuinely love. I wrote the music for me. You can tell that, though. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. There was no uh, forced element with the band. You know, the right. the party style, the having fun style didn't feel forced. It didn't feel not genuine. It just felt like that's what you guys were about. When yeah. when you first met <clears throat> that Roadrunner lady, was that before you'd released Gutterbound or was that around the time you'd released Gutterbound? Yeah, so it was right around Gutterbound. Um, it, it was just before, actually, I'd say, because we had still had the, the four-song demo. Mm. And at that point, we had two singers. Like, I mean, it got to the point where it was obscene. We had, like, seven, eight 
maybe nine members in the band. Like <laughs> we had three guitarists at one point. Like, uh, so anyway, we had gone on a tour. Adam, our other vocalist, quit, and I was like, "All right, whatever." And then, so we got it down to that number, and then, um, so we have been in the studio recording Guttermouth. It took us forever because we all had day jobs. We still worked, you know. Um, and again, we were just sort of doing it on the side, just as shit and shits, shits and giggles. But um, then it started getting real. We're like, fuck, yeah, we're going to actually record a record. And so we did. And it took forever for us to be content with it just because we were like nitpicking it all the hell. And finally, it was like one day, okay, we got to fucking release this. Like enough's enough. We had the CD release show again, like tons of fucking people. It was super awesome. And then, um, we got a, a tour with a band called the Holly Springs Disaster. They're from um, Canada as well, Regina, Saskatchewan. And that really changed things because that, that band up here was really heating up. They were changing things. And so the the fact that we got to be put in front of a crowd with a, a band like Strapping Young Lad was um, really different. We played with other metal bands. We played with like Corrosion of Conformity, um, uh, uh, what was the other band? like Voivod, like just just weird bands that would come through our area, but nothing on the scale of like holy shit, we're playing with Devin Townsend. This guy's a mm. fucking monster, right? And um, so yeah, we, we we were just about to release that into the into the world, and then Rose came upon us, and so well, d- during this time that I had been talking to Rose. Originally, she was an A&R for Roadrunner in Canada. By the time Gutterbound had come out, she had actually taken over the general manager's position of Roadrunner in Canada. And we played another show in Toronto. Um, and this other gentleman from Roadrunner had come out. His name was Joe. And Joe, after we were done our set, came up to me and he says, I hit like he... I, I, we played the whole set. It was all like a showcase. Weird ass people sitting down. It was fucked up. And everybody got a copy of Gutterbound CD. And Joe looks at me at the end and he said, he pulls me behind the red rope, fills me full of vodka and says, can you write me 12 down and out? Yeah, I can do whatever the fuck you want me to do. You're Roadrunner. He's like, great answer. Okay, I'll be in touch. Mm. And so apparently what he had done is he walked back and again, like we've refined our stage show at this point. We're not wearing neon anymore. I've tied <laughs> my fucking shoes. And he slaps Gutterbound on the desk of Rose Slanek. And uh, she looks at him and goes, are you fucking serious? You're handing me this band? And he's like, I don't know what you saw, but what I saw was pretty fucking cool. And so she's like, she agrees to come out to another show. And now she's seeing she's basically seeing the product that she had envisioned and she just didn't know we had pulled it off. And so when she saw us, she was just like, this is fucking awesome. These guys, these kids actually fucking listened to me and did what I fucking said. And then they fucking slapped a contract in front of us. It was wild, man. That's a big contract too. At that time, that label, that's a big fucking deal too. That's not a small label. Like, yeah, I was shitting my pants. I couldn't believe what was happening. 
we had had, we had to hire an entertainment lawyer. Like we're like, what the fuck's an entertainment lawyer? Like, and um, you know, it it was it was it was really really crazy. It was super intimidating, um, knowing that you're about to embark on like this life changing opportunity, and um, we're like, fuck yeah! Like, who who would say no to Roadrunner and doing having the opportunity to do this? And, um, so yeah, we jumped at it and it just, it, it just kept on blowing up beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah. It seemed like, I mean, the signing and then the album now, the album felt like it came out of nowhere because I'm, I'm the same age as you. And I remember that time I used to follow labels. So I'd go to the yeah. shop and I'd see uh, Roadrunner and then there was suddenly, there's this new thing, baptized in blood. It's got a shark on it. It's like, yeah, it looks pretty cool. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I don't even, I don't even know the music, but I'm getting it because of the label it's on. Um, yeah. That album had a few songs that were redone from Gutterbound, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. But what was that process like? Were you, were you guys really under the pressure to deliver what they wanted? Because you said he wanted twelve of like the same kind of songs. So did you feel pressure? Yeah. Um. Uh, yes and no. I think we felt the pressure personally, mm-hmm. but the label wasn't like pushing us to do anything other than who we were. And Zeus, um, our producer, uh, who has done everything oh, yeah. super fucking cool, um, he really wanted to work with us. And we got there and he was like, man, it's crazy. Be- he, it, he was like, honestly, it's crazy being put in a position where you're with a band who already has everything done for you. He was used, he said he was used to, you know, really refining things, uh, whether it be solos or uh, pitch or tone and all this other stuff. He, he was like, you came in here basically with an entire fucking album that you called demos, but I just had to record it. He was like, I just had to sit back and record it. There was one tune um, that ended up being called Sinking Ships. Oh, yeah. That's the only tune out of all of them that Zeus felt needed to be refined from its original uh, state, which was called Lightning Speed on Gutterbound. So Lightning Speed and and Sinking Ships are the same song, but because of the alterations, um, we just changed the name of it. But aside from that, uh, aside from Zeus adding his little, like, pizzazz, I guess you could say, onto this and that and, like, making things sound obviously as fucking cool as they did because it's fucking Zeus. um, Yeah, he was just really stoked to be a part of the process and just as stoked as I was to have him as a part of the process. So, no, like, Roadrunner really didn't... uh, they didn't put their foot down. They didn't say you have to be this band or you have to record a song like this or like this or like this. Uh, they, they full on put their belief in what we wanted to do in our vision and let us be ourselves. And I'll never forget when Rose flew in to listen to the album for the first time, she just sat there smiling and Rose is Rose doesn't smile a whole lot. Not like you and I have smiled throughout this conversation. She's uh, very opinionated, very, 
she she will not blow smoke up your ass. And she sat there and she was like, yeah, I fucking like it. <laughs> like, this is sick. All right, cool. So I guess we have our album. And uh, that process was wild. We got to st- we stayed in Hadley, Massachusetts. Um, at this point, we'd already been on tour with the guys in Shadows Fall who are also from Hadley, Massachusetts. So they would stop in. We'd go for wings with them. They actually brought us all our strings for the album. Um, uh, Jamie Jasta from Hatebreed had stopped by one night just out of the blue. And I was like, this is fucked. <laughs> like, and never in my wildest dreams. But we ended up touring with Hatebreed. Um, just crazy, crazy scenario after crazy scenario. Didn't you also, I saw on your Instagram the pad of your lyrics. Didn't you have a night where something happened with your beer and you woke up the next day and you had to rewrite everything? Yeah, so that was pretty crazy. So, again, we were all drunken fools. Um, We heard this rumor that Shadows Fall had drank the most at Zeus's place. (laughs) Within within a certain amount of handles, right? I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, we're going to destroy those guys. And so we just sit there just drinking and just writing and drinking and writing and drinking. And one night we were playing cards at the table and I had gone to bed and I woke up and my fucking lyric book is sitting there in a puddle of booze. And I had been writing everything with this really slick gel pen. And gel pen to write with is super nice. It flows just really easy, right? Try dropping a fucking batch of booze <laughs> on a book that you've just written in gel pen and mm. watch what happens. It completely devastated like so much of my work and songs that I had been writing in the studio. So we had come down there with the majority of the album already written, but there were still four songs that needed lyrics. So I was writing them while we were down there. I had some great ideas and I was really excited to sing them. And before I got the opportunity, they'd been completely wiped clean. So I had, yeah, it was like absolutely mental. And so I had to start fresh. So to think that those songs that you heard, like, um, game on was one of them. Um, shark's teeth, which is a B side was another one. Um, those songs, really in retrospect could have been completely different from what they are now but i'm happy that game on is the song that it is because that honestly out of all of the songs that we ever wrote as a band that is hands down my favorite song really of all the songs on that album is that your favorite yeah i actually I, well i actually told all the guys originally that i, I refused to write that song because it was too poppy in my mind and then finally, after sitting down and getting too drunk and wasted, that I figured out that, uh, you know what, maybe I can write something cool to this. And yeah, it turns out that that is the one for me. Well, I think uh, the, the one that was made into a single, I think, is probably the most one, uh, Dirty's Back. I think that's the one that perfectly encapsulated the band, though. That, that, that oh, 100%. track. Like, fuck. <laughs> like, Without, you know what, I almost wish I could go back and drop a bottle of booze on that page and <laughs> rewrite that song. It's crazy because, yeah, you know, like at that moment in time, that's exactly who I was. Mm. I sang about what I knew, and what I knew was exactly what you hear in that song. In that song. Uh, drugs, booze, women, sex. Swearing. Uh, just, yeah, just everything. That, that was me. Like, uh, But 
now is the father of a 10 year old child. I, I don't think that's a song you're going to play. No, that's exactly that. And like, you know, like next stop Hollywood's another one where Mm -hmm. it's like, ah, fuck, I don't know if I could ever actually get up on stage and sing that with a straight face. So So the album comes out and obviously the whirlwind begins for you guys. Like you start doing big shows, you start touring, you do download in, in England. Like the shows just start really spinning out of control and momentum's really picking up. Um, in here, there's always this story I've seen, and I remember when the album came out, people were going, Dave Mustaine is their manager. And I was like, yeah, yeah no, he wouldn't be their manager. And they're like, no, apparently he's their manager. Um, yeah. Did he pick you or did you pick him? Like, how do you get the icon <laughs> to be your manager of all things? Again, um, I, I we did not try or strive to be hooked up with him everything just kept on happening like by a fluke so small world here um a buddy of ours uh, happens to be tom araya from slayer's brother his name's john araya and john araya played bass for a band here in london ontario called thine eyes bleed yes we become buddies with these guys and done a lot of shows with them and johnny and i always hit it off Slayer was playing with Megadeth and Testament and Anthrax in London. Um, and it was like, this is a fucking sick show. I'm going to go. Rose happened to be going as well uh, from Roadrunner. Um, so I'm at the show and uh, Rose says, I want you to come outside in like 20 minutes. Meet me at, um, meet me at the buses. I want to introduce you to some people. I'm like, okay, no problem. So we had just signed, right? We hadn't recorded yet. We hadn't recorded the album, but we had just signed. And so I go outside to the buses and um, there she is. She's standing with Mustaine. She says, uh, Joel, this is my good friend, Dave Mustaine. And I said, hey, nice, nice to meet you. That's cool. You guys are pretty sweet. <laughs> he's like, he's like uh, do you want to come onto the bus like yeah sure sounds good so we go on the bus and all of megadeth is just sitting there on one bench and dave is up and walking about with a bottle of wine and do you want a drink yeah sure sounds good and the funny thing is is that i was never really huge fucking megadeth fan (laughs) like i i like i I appreciate megadeth Mm -hmm. um each member as an individual are fucking the most unbelievably cool people you'll ever meet in your life. But I was never a fan of them. Like, it was just like, I, you know, whatever. So I, I'm on this bus where most people would be like, holy fuck, I can't handle this. <laughs> and I'm just treating them like, just I'm dudes. talking to you right now, mm. you know? like, um, And so I remember Dave Ellison looking at me and he goes, uh, so you're in a band, eh? Yeah. I said, he says, um, what do you sound like? And I was like, honestly, sort of like a sped up version of you guys, but like from the eighties, he's like, Oh, cool. Cool. Right on. And so we had a good chat and like, you know, Sean Trover's there. Like we were, we were having like a really good chat. And, uh, 
I'm like, you know what? I, I'll let you guys be, do your thing, you know, pleasure meeting you. And as I'm exiting the bus, I didn't know this, but Rose had taken a copy of Gutterbound and handed it to Dave and said, these guys need a manager. Check these guys out. So I go home, like none the wiser. And two days later, I get home from work and my phone rings and it's California. I'm like, what the fuck? Boop, hit it and hello. Uh, yeah, is Joel there? Yeah, that's me. Uh, it's Dave Mustaine. I said, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> he's like, he's like, no, this is really is Dave Mustaine. He says, uh, I listened to your record and I fucking love it. I was like, really? That's pretty fucking cool. He's like, I also showed my manager, uh, Mark Edelman, your record, and he fucking really likes it too. And, um, I'd really like to work with you guys. I was like, you gotta be shitting me. I was like, can you like call me back in an hour? He's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. So I hung up the phone with Dave and I got everybody over to my house. I was like, guys, like fucking Mustaine just phoned me. He wants to fucking manage our band. Like, no way. Like seriously, come over. We'll sit in the garage. We'll talk to him. <laughs> and so he phones me back. He's like, uh, Hey, you all there? Yeah. 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 We're all here. And everybody else is just like, their heads are fucking exploding. They're like, Joel, you, you good? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm good. What's going on? He's like, uh, so you want, you were look, I heard you were looking for management and yeah, yeah. He says, well, congrats on landing major management. I said, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, stoked to work with you. I was like, holy fuck. Dave Mustaine is our manager now. Like, fuck. this is absolutely insane. And for the next year and a half, I talked to him basically every day. I still have his number in my phone. Like, it was a crazy, crazy, wild thing. Um, some days he was the best person on the planet. He had the coolest advice, the coolest stories. And he would talk me down off any bridge. If I was having a problem getting my kid to sleep, he would, I, I learned from Dave how to like get my kid to sleep in various different ways. Like <laughs> Dave was saying, but I didn't really think anything of it. You're my manager. You know, I'm having troubles. You're going to tell me how to get the fuck out of it. That was my trouble for the night. I couldn't get my kid to sleep. Dave Mustaine's going to teach me how to sing lullabies to my child. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, and that's just how it was. It was, it was just a regular thing for me. And um, the problem with Dave is that he has absolutely zero concept of the real world. Hmm. Um, he has been Mega Dave for so fucking long that that genuinely is who he is. The person that he portrays is the person that he is. Mm. And um, he has moments where he seems normal, but you just, you can't become normal after the experiences that he has had. Um, normal in the aspect, in this, or in the sense of like, being the guy who uh, makes sandwiches at a sandwich shop to pay the bills or the guy who goes out every day swinging a hammer or the guy who's doing radio interviews. Like there is no normality for Dave Mustaine. So um, 
eventually things just got to a point where um, it wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds absolutely heinous because most people would give their left nut to, no, to get the opportunity. It sounds to, like reality be pushed around by Dave Mustaine, but I'm not one of those people. Um, And I still, to this day, uh, pride myself in the fact that there's only two people on this planet who have ever fired Dave Mustaine. One's James Hetfield, and you're talking to the other one. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. You can tip tip your cap to that, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, uh, again... I'm not going to get too much more into that situation, but but was that was that part of the you know all this momentum that's going on? You know, Dave's managing mm-hmm. you. You're doing all these big shows, and then yeah. it felt like just everything stopped. Like it just it well from the outside looking in, you know, I was 100%. constantly looking around to see. All right, what's going on next with Baptized? You know, is there a new album? Are they touring? And then there was kind of a sly email press release that Roadrunner had dropped you. But before yeah. they dropped you, there hadn't been anything going on from what yeah. I could see at the time. So at that point, um, Roadrunner is pressing. We had signed a seven album deal with Roadrunner, um, which is crazy. Yeah, that's a big uh, one. And so Roadrunner was looking for more demos and stuff, but we, we had never been a band that had ever, um, worked well on timelines. Like it took us a long time to release Gutterbound. It took us even longer to write the self-titled album, then record it, then get it out. Like, um, and with the relentless touring and all we had going on, it, it just got to the point where, um, we hadn't really had a chance to even really think about, writing more music. Um, Josh and I had always just farted around with ideas and stuff, but when Roadrunner was like, you know, the album cycle's coming up, we want it, we want more demos. And we're like, well, fuck, like we've been on the road for a year and a half. What did you want us to do? Like, were we supposed to write on the road? Cause we don't have the gear necessary to do that. Like hook us up. If mm. you got, you know, somebody, but um, no. So basically what had happened is, um, we heard the rumblings of the Warner merger beforehand and, um, we were given the heads up that they were only going to be taking, um, Nickelback, Slipknot, Megadeth, and maybe like a couple others. And we were definitely not Warner material and so be it. Like, I, I don't really know what Warner would have done for us because of the position that we were in at that moment in time. Um, however, so we got back from a fucking unbelievable European tour. Uh, we'd just done a bunch of shows with Cavalier Conspiracy. We just played um, uh, Grass Pop, like uh, Download, uh, uh, Gothenburg, Metal Town, um, like just the, the crazy fucking shows that I've never in my wildest dreams played. We were coming home, and all the while, um, I'd been I, I would chat with my son via FaceTime, just like you and I are doing right now, or Skype or whatever. Early on in my touring, 
he was too small. He didn't really have a voice. He just was understanding this is what I did. And as I was, we were getting to this point in our career, he was like, I really miss you. Like, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? Um, when, when I'd leave, he didn't want to let go. Like, mm. It would always end up in tears for both of us, right? And at this point, I was having uh, a real hard time with my ex. Um, and between all the pressure that was building uh, from the band, the pressures of being a father of like a, a three, four-year-old, um, and not having a father myself, I, I, it started to really play on me. I started having panic attacks and, um, when we were on the road and it, it was really getting crazy cause I, I would drink them away. Mm. Um, and so I was basically hammered all the time. I couldn't, I couldn't face the music. I couldn't face reality anymore. And it was getting to the point where I was like, fuck, my kid really fucking needs me. And I know what it's like to not grow up without a father or to grow up without a father. And, um, we came back and we played heavy TO in Toronto at Downsview park. It's like the equivalent of playing, um, a download festival in Ontario. And, uh, after that show, we fucking destroyed our dressing room. Tried to blame it on Anvil. You know that <laughs> yeah. sad-ass Canadian man? Yeah, we tried to change our name tag on our dressing room. Baptized in blood of Anvil. But they had us all on video camera, just like smashing the shit out of everything. And uh, our booking agency dropped us immediately. They called us the next day. They're like, what the fuck do you think this is, 1970? It was like, fuck, man. I don't know. I'm, I was just having fun. I'm living my life. I don't fucking care <laughs> at this point. Right. Mm. And so, cause now I'm home, I'm back home and we were supposed to leave the next week with, uh, an amazing band from Hamilton. that are still going called threat signal. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, another band called bare bones. They were just starting out and it was all, the tour was already advertised. A bunch of shows were already sold out across Canada. Uh, Jagermeister was sponsoring. It was like, it was going to be fucking sick. And I got home and I hugged my son and I realized that that was the only time that I had actually been truly happy at, in the last quite some time. I was doing things that I had always dreamt about on the road, like playing with these bands, meeting these people, playing these shows to thousands and thousands and thousands of people who fucking actually really dug what we were doing but i wasn't happy mm. and then being able to have that moment of uh of sanity i was just like i can't leave and so i got on the phone i called the label i called every member of every band individually and then i called the members of my band and i told them that i i couldn't i couldn't do it anymore I told them I flat out like I would 100% respect the fact that if they wanted to find somebody else to take my place, I would like I, I would help them learn the lyrics. I would fucking sit down with them. I would do whatever it took. And everybody in my band just looked at me and said, "There's no fucking way." And that meant everything to me. My band, the band who I had of people who had asked to stand by me 
I said, if you give me the opportunity, I can sell ice to an Eskimo. I will, if you put me in front of the right people, I will make your fucking dreams come true. And they believed in me. And I did exactly what I said I would do. Um, however, I had fulfilled those dreams to the point where I don't know what would have happened had I continued on. I, I have a strong feeling that if I would have continued down the path that I was on, that I'd either be dead or in jail right now. Like without a doubt, there's no, there's no other option. I just don't know yeah. which one it would have been. But that um, takes, that takes, that's takes quite a uh, sense of being a man. Like that's being a man right there. Like, you know, knowing, sure. <clears throat> knowing that you looking at your boy and you don't want his life to start replicating in any shape or form what your life was. And then also sure. understanding that I've done a lot of these things, but I'm not actually happy. What actually makes me happy? And that's him. Yeah. And that's yeah. being with him. That takes a man. Like that's not easy to do. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, I fully agree with that. Um, and looking at him now, uh, as a 10 year old with like his own voice, the kid dyes his hair, different colors. He's, <laughs> he's got a huge smile. Um, we do everything together. We just, I, I enjoy him just as a, a fellow human being and, um, having that relationship with him and being able to be here for those formative years. Um, uh, I know without a shadow of a doubt, uh, that I made the right decision mm. for, um, me at that moment in time. Um, I won't regret it. Um, I do, I do miss it dearly. Trust me. Like I, the stage was always, uh, it, I could become anything at any given night. Uh, if I felt larger than life, I became a giant, just a fucking monster. I could do anything. I could command anybody to do anything. It was crazy. But, um, I don't, I honestly don't know what I would do if I got up on that stage right now. Um, I'd probably have the time of my life still, mm. but, uh, you know, to have my son there watching me do it. That would be a trip. <laughs> I, don't, be a trip. I don't know if he would ever speak to me again <laughs> after seeing us play. I think, but, you know, I think the most important phrase you used there was his formidable years. Um, and that's something that no matter where you were going with the band or whatever, you can't replace those formative years in his life. Um, Correct. You can't there replace were, there were, there, Sorry, there were, there were a lot of bands out there who were touring with their kids, and that's fucking amazing. Like Cavalier Conspiracy, uh, the guys from Max's clan, like... Like Richie was doing merch, like mm. it was fucked. Like their whole family was out there. The one reason Igor and I got along super well, Igor Cavalera, uh, was because his son was obsessed with sharks, and our intro music was this shit from Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. And we would come on stage to that, and it was, and his kid fucking loved it so much. Igor was like. I fucking love you guys. He was <laughs> repping our shit at fucking uh, 
like riding in leads that year. I was like, this is crazy, man. Um, but again, like the guys from Mastodon, they would bring their kids out. Uh, but they had risen to those ranks before the family, you know, they had mm. got to a point where they were making comfortable enough money that they had, uh, mega-sized tour bus where they were being flown everywhere everything was you know it was just it was easier for them to bring everybody along whereas when you're touring in a fucking sprinter and you're all crammed in and everybody's high on drugs that's really not the place for Mm, your child no not perfect yeah so (laughs) um so yeah you know cheers to those guys i i I I love what they did. I love the people that they are, um, and the the abilities and the the things that they had going for them that allowed them the ability to bring their families on tour with them. Um, I'm really glad I didn't have that at that moment, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm happy again. That those those years for me were them were super important there will come a time soon enough where my child looks at me and tells me i'm not cool and to go fuck myself i know it's coming <laughs> yeah give it and... about four years four years four yeah years. that's all i got left yep, yep. Right. <laughs> yep. so so yeah i um i've actually made him a box in the basement it's a little rubbermaid container that has all our laminates uh magazines we were in um there's actually a there's a penthouse in there that I did an interview for penthouse. In. Whoa! <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. One page is Tommy Lee, and then the other page is me. It's fucked up. Um, but yeah, like all these things, like some T-shirts, some CDs, some awards that we had won, and shit like this. Um, and on the top, it says, "Dear Mason, once upon a time, your dad was actually almost sort of cool." And then it says, stop laughing. No, seriously, stop laughing. <laughs> Love that. And I'm going to hand it to him. I'm going to be like, so I'm not cool, eh? I'm just going to make him open it. Yeah. We'll see what happens from there. But, um, again, uh, I, I made that choice for me, and I, I'm happy I did it. Are my bandmates? Probably not, secretly down inside. <laughs> well, but, I mean, uh, you, you speak of the bandmates, and, you know, there's two songs on SoundCloud that you guys dropped around 2014. Um, yeah. What's, I mean, obviously times have changed and things have sure. changed in everyone's life, but do you think you guys collectively could put together an EP or put together another album? Not necessarily tour nonstop, but do you think you yeah. still have the fire to make some more music? Because those two songs that are on SoundCloud, not bad pretty good yeah like you can see that there's still something burning in there i'll tell you right now just between you and i and the internet that um josh and i still write to this day and um we have a another friend of ours named don and don likes to write the same sort of shit that we like to write only it's changed Um, it's not the same outrageous, super fast, super poppy, punky sort of stuff that we wrote that made us baptized in blood. 
I don't know if we could ever be on stage um, as the same band that we were. Um, whether it be, be just because of the same members or like everybody else is doing different things. I mean, I was hanging out with our bassist Shags the other day on a boys weekend where we just got throttled and reminisced. <laughs> um, but the stuff that we have in the bank right now is extremely heavy and it really utilizes a lot of uh, what I learned on the road. Um, what really grabs people, what makes people move, what, what excites people. And I think if we were to write another album, um, which is a very strong possibility, um, it would be this, the, the last one was for me. The one before it was for our band. And this one will be for the people. It will be for everybody who waited all these years and still call and still have an interest like, like you do. Uh, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm still sort of blown away that we're even having a chat. Like it's, it's, it's super rad, man. It's super oh, rad. I'm loving it. still appreciate it. Yeah, and love our, it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, will it be called baptized? I don't know. Hmm. Um, will you dig it? Probably. Okay. <laughs> um, and will I give it my fucking 110%? You bet. Yeah, just so. don't don't make us wait another. Well, how many years is it? It's been nine years since the self-titled, <laughs> so don't give us another nine years wait. I mean, yeah, um, I think if we're if we're gonna do it, um, well, the pro here's the problem. Josh, who is my better half musically, is in Nashville. Yeah, and wow. That's yeah, so he lives in Nashville, and he. Uh, plays the dumb dumb stick in a, a <laughs> country band that tours around and um, fuck, they played with Vanilla Ice the other night. Like, I shit you not. Uh, is Vanilla Ice shit. still going? Like, that's He's the weird part. Um, and yeah, it's it's wild. So, um, we have our uh, there, there are things that are standing in our way right now of really giving it our all. But at the same time, I know for a fact that Josh's heart lies in metal and mine lies in metal as well. And the people that we work with um, and have been working with over the last uh, year or so, we all are on the same page, which is the exact same feeling that I got when we first sat down and first, and I first tore everybody away from their bands <laughs> and made them come play music with me. So it's a cool feeling. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't, again, this isn't me saying that buy a record so that we could tour relentlessly and all this. Uh, again, I have zero expectations going forward. So if people dig it, that's fucking rad. If you don't, also fucking cool. There's tons of other amazing bands out there. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I just, I will always love music. I will always be a musician at heart, even though I can't play 
the things worth shit. I can write a song in my head that can make people move. And that, uh, that means the world to me. And again, we would be nothing without the people who continue to send us messages, who continue to write, uh, just from their hearts and, and express how much our band meant to them. I'll never get tired of that. I think, uh, I think that album for me will always, I always tell everyone if they say, what's one of your favorite debut albums? Cause I consider that the debut, even though technically it's not your debut, that is sure. without a doubt in my must listens always for anyone with, and I've always told people that and getting you on this show for me is a big fanboy moment. Cause that album means so fucking much to me, but also it's good because people who don't know you are going to get yeah. a snippet of it because they're going to hear this, they're going to hear the song and then they'll be like, Oh yeah, fuck. So I think the band will never <laughs> die. I think the band will never die. Um, We've gone a bit over time, but I've got two kind of questions before we kind of wrap things up. One, sure, one is you're looking at this album about to hit 10 years, right? What a yep. lot of bands are doing nowadays is kind of one-off anniversary shows. Um, sure. Is it something you would ever consider doing a one-off hometown celebration of the album to celebrate 10 years or 15 years, whatever it might be? I would be lying if I said it hadn't crossed my mind. Hey. Um, we have been pestered relentlessly since the last show to do one more. Um, we've been offered ridiculous money to do it. Uh, big stages, uh, big bills. And I, I just don't know. I just mm. don't know. Just because of what the music was, I just don't know. I can't say no, that it'll never happen, but it was never about money. Mm -hmm. It was never about popularity or success. It was just about the music. And if there's a way that all five of us are able to get back in a room together and somehow come to an agreement that we're going to be adults about this and this is how it's going to be. Then who knows? Maybe, maybe we are creeping up on 10 years and maybe it's time to show our faces again. Yeah. Fuck, we'll it. See. fuck it. Make sure you film it. If that, if that happens, make sure you fucking film it. Like, oh, I'm sure there will be, there will be quite, quite the crew out for that <laughs> one. So. Um, <laughs> kind of the last question I got is a bit of an insight one. And that's about, you know, you're my age, so you've seen how the industry's changed from cassettes to CDs, and sure. it used to be about discovering bands and music. You know, you used to, yeah. on your own, go and delve into catalogs and delve into magazines and inlays, and now right. we're at a different time where everything's on your phone. Um, yeah. And not only that, but you're now on those apps like Spotify. It's telling you recommendations. So right. the industry has changed dramatically, but as someone who loves music as much as you do and has done the thing as an artist as well, do you think the industry is at a very strong time or do you think we're at a time where we haven't found our feet per se? I like the stability 
that the industry is showing now as opposed to when our band broke. When our band broke and was given those opportunities, labels were literally signing any fucking band that sent a demo in, hoping that they were grabbing the next whoever the fuck was just going to blow up, Mm. right? And a lot of bands didn't. A lot of bands have a similar story to mine, maybe not as much commercial success because we landed with the bigger label but um i like the fact that the industry is stabilized and that there aren't a whole bunch of mass bullshit signings Mm -hmm. um at least not that i'm seeing but i'm also sort of a hermit now so i don't really fucking (laughs) care um uh i like the idea of itunes um I, I know I know a lot of people don't. I, I think that I like the idea of bands releasing songs as they come. I think that's sort of cool. And I mean, it's not going to help them sell multi-million albums, but um, it's getting their music out there. It's readily available. And the suggestions are cool. I actually, this is this is how closed off I am. I'm, I'm actually just sort of new to, to this whole suggestions thing. My girlfriend... I was like, I was always like, how are you finding these rad ass fucking bands? Oh, they're in the suggestions. I'm like, what do you mean the suggestions? <laughs> you know, you have to just scroll up a little further and there's all these bands they suggest to you. I'm still that guy who would read through liner notes to find new bands mm-hmm. or uh, look at a show flyer. Oh, fuck. I just found this band the other day. And it turns out it's one of my all time favorite vocalists. Like, um, Converge was touring Europe with a band called Sect. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, who are the fuck are these Sect guys? <laughs> and I listened to it. I'm like, this sounds so much like Curse, like Chris Callahan from Curse. I fucking listened to it and I Google it. And it fucking is Chris Callahan. <laughs> but like one of my favorite vocalists of all time. I had no fucking clue he's in this band. Um, again, a lot of more tech savvy people out there. It's all out there for you. And you all have the opportunity to listen to it. Um, I implore everybody to just get online and fuck, just find music. That's how I did it. That's how I became the person I was by just being bored and listening to everything. Right. And, uh, I like our industry. Our industry seems very strong, but there is a severe lack of, um, newer bands that are super fucking impressive. Mm. Um, Again, that could just be me being a fucking music snob, but I want to hear more. I do. Re- I would love to hear newer bands that just absolutely fucking floor me. Like, um, like, like, I, like I really love Turnstile, but they've been around for a while now. I really love Knocked Loose, but again, they've got history. Um, Vane is a band that I just cannot fucking stop listening to. Man, they are the fucking best band in my mind right now, period. Um, And then there's this little band from fucking Australia called the Dead Love. Yeah, Dead Love. Yeah. My God, Mm -hmm. I love them. I am obsessed with the Dead Love. Um, I wish they'd fucking tour Canada. They won't. If if you like bands like the Dead Love, one of my boys and I heavily rep them all the time bare bones okay bare I'll bones they've got two eps they've had one album 
and they're about to kick off another album soon. That's, Sweet. you know, it's like dirty, sludgy, kind of punk rock attitude with a bit of a metal t- tinge. It's, yeah. Very cool. Um, All right. Well, sounds good. I will, I will definitely give them a lesson. Now, what we're going to do to wrap things up is we do Pick Your Poison. Now, this is the last part of our chat, and this is a part where people are going to find out if you really wanted to hang out with someone, what are they going to do with you? Like what food's on the table, et cetera, et cetera. So I give you two options, and you pick your favorite of the two. Sure. Now, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Oh, I'm... Fuck. Um, I'm definitely the pizza guy. Okay. Uh, I, however, cheese does not agree with me in my old age now. So, <laughs> <laughs> if there is a way to have a pizza with uh, no cheese on it, then I, I'm a pizza guy all the way. Uh, unless I want to shit my pants, and I'm probably just going to go with the burger. <laughs> um, would you rather ribs or brisket? Fool! Like, is the brisket smoked? Yes. Are the ribs smoked? Yes. Oh, fuck me. Um, probably the brisket because there's no bones. Okay. Um, however, I really like ribs. Yeah. I'm, I'm These obsessed. are really fucking difficult. Yeah. Uh, Why I've, would you do this to me? I've had people that they, they, they hate me after this segment. Um, yeah. They've, they, yeah. They've been happy and then I do this and they're like, no, nah, not happy. Yeah, um, you're really ruining this. It's, <laughs> I don't think it's going to get any easier having a look at some of these. Um, would you rather a beer or a whiskey? I'm a bourbon guy. Ooh. Just, I love bourbon. Yeah, like, yeah. I So, whiskey, okay, bourbon, 100%. I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you rather to cook at home or dine out? There's some really rad spots to, around here, but uh, there's no place I'd rather be than just at home sitting across the table from my girl. Uh, would you rather see a, a movie in the cinema or spend it at home watching it on the couch? Uh, we have some really sick theaters up here that have their full recliners. You probably do too. Oh, um, yeah, but kind of. Like all of our recline, all of all of these ones up here are like the dopest recliners. The middle flips up. You can bring your bring your own blankets and food. Like definitely, I'm definitely watching at the movie theater. Okay. Um, now this one. It'll be interesting considering you're in Canada. Would you rather the beach or the snow? I'm always the beach. Like, fuck. I'm, um, yeah, like, you know, we obviously live in igloos up here and we <laughs> hunt polar bear for sport. But um, no, man, I fucking love the beach. We only get like two months of beach weather up here. Like, we spend it at the beach if fuck. possible. I don't know how you do it. Um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be able to do it. We, our average. We're in winter right now where I live in Australia, and our average temperature is twenty five Celsius. So I don't know what that is Fahrenheit. No, no, we're Celsius too. Are you up? Yeah, the, we're, we're we're the British monarchy at one point. In yeah, well, two, we're so. we're 25, 25 degrees, and it's winter. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. It's miserable. We're, it's miserable. We're twenty. We're twenty five degrees with a humidity of about forty degrees. Okay. And uh, that's like our. That's like an enjoyable summer for us. It sucks. <laughs> Shit. Um, it's not dry. It's not. It's not cool. It's not fun. All right. Let, let's kick on to the last couple. We've got cat or dog. Uh, 
Uh, I'm a cat guy. Um, I'm actually just about to leave to bring my cat to somebody else's house because the cat uh, is just too needy. <laughs> I thought I've, I've always been a cat guy. I've always been a cat guy. And I've always hated dogs. And um, my, but my girlfriend has this unbelievable little dog, Morty. And uh, he's, he's super funny. I love him. So I I don't know it's not possible now I don't know am I a dog guy now Yeah I think you're a dog guy now I I think God that makes it. you a dog guy I mean I'm I'm a dog guy because I don't know if you can see but we got three on the couch Oh Jesus so. they've been that quiet this entire time Yeah they're well behaved because they're in they're in they're in my den and they know when they're in here they have to be quiet otherwise they get locked out So they're all <laughs> they're Plus all it's twenty five degrees in winter there Yes like, yeah. yeah they're they're, okay. they're having a hell of a time. Um, yeah. would you rather Terminator or Predator? Um, well, I, I think Predator, because Predator was fucking super dope. Terminator was cool, but it wasn't like jumping through trees and shit, like, <laughs> like blasting people's faces off with lasers. And I don't know. Yeah. Predator. Um, Freddy or Jason? I fucking hate scary movies. So <gasps> either both oh, of them can jump off a cliff. I, I just fell in love with you because I cannot stand scary movies, but my wife watches them all the time. So I have to sit at the other end of the house away from the television. Cause I just can't, I can't yeah. do it. I can't. Yeah, There's not a chance. I see. Here's my thing. I don't understand why people would pay good hard earned money to walk into a theater, to come out terrified of something. Why? What the fuck? There's Dave Chappelle <laughs> specials out there. There are fucking things that Aziz and Zari are saying that will blow your fucking mind. Like, just why not just be happy? Mm -hmm. And you got one one life, one shot. Just oh, fucking smile a bunch. Man. I I can't watch any of them. I and I think I watched a couple as a kid, and that that was me done. Like, no, no, won't watch. Oh any. yeah, no. yeah, no, terrified. That night terrors for weeks. Man. <laughs> uh, uh, Rambo or Rocky? Ooh, Rambo. Yes, hundred percent yes. Rambo. Yes. Um, <laughs> South Park or Simpsons? Um, I watched South Park's very first season, and then it just got to be too much. Like, really funny, but I'm a Simpsons kid all the way. Um, music ones. Would you rather Slayer or Pantera? <sighs> you can't ask that question. Yeah, it's not allowed. Yeah. Um. Fuck me. I guess, honestly, I, I have to say Pantera. Like, mm -hmm. I fuck, and that's coming from a guy who fucking loves Slayer. So, I don't know. That was mean. <laughs> well, all the music ones are mean. Um, Madball or Terra? Madball. Okay. If you would have said Madball or Buried Alive, I'd say Buried Alive hand over fist but Ooh. mad ball for sure what about buried alive or terror <laughs> buried alive okay. no question um cannibal corpse or black dahlia murder oh black dahlia murder it's a no-brainer uh converge <laughs> or dillinger escape plan i'm converge i am so obsessed with converge uh it's really not funny actually <laughs> i can show you hold on one second i'll show you something cool so i have a cow skull in my kitchen or in my dining room here where is it there we go here i'll show you 
So this thing right here, Ooh. that was that's that was owned by Nate, the bassist of Converge. That's how obsessed with Converge I am. I have wow. things like that. I've got <laughs> Jake Bannon prints all over my house. I'm uh, I'm a bit of a nut bar. I'm pretty sure <laughs> they don't want to meet me because uh, they'd be afraid of me. Then they've got a picture of you on a wall saying, "Avoid this man at all times." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do not feed this man anymore. Um, all right, we've got a last couple here. When playing a show, would you prefer to have stage dives going on or mic grabs going on? Oh, stage dives all the way. People need to be injured. Like, injure yourself. <laughs> have fun. Learn your lessons. Um, the way I would you rather watch a show from the sound desk or in the middle of the mosh pit? Middle of the pit. It's the best place. You never get the experience of uh, <coughs> of a show standing at the soundboard with your arms crossed. You yeah. have to be engaged. Um, would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? If no, if there was nothing restricting, and you had to pick one, oh. Oh, connection's just gone poor there. Hang on. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, all right. Last one. Would you rather own an album on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Vinyl, 110%. I collect quite a bit of vinyl, and uh, nothing sounds better than spinning some fresh wax. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, dude, what a chat, man. We, we I'm sorry we went over um what it was gonna be but um that fucking smashed a big goal for me you're a perfect (laughs) guest man you went on tangents which is what i really enjoy because i don't need to guide the conversation you just rolled and made it so much easy to chat sure well i uh i really appreciate you sticking it out and uh and fighting for this because there are points when I'm just like, do I even fucking bother anymore? But uh, it's uh, it's people like you that uh, that reaffirm that I, I did the right thing with my life at some points. I think I think <laughs> and, uh, it just and the- I really I really fucking appreciate you and everybody else who will take the time to listen to this and check it out. That uh, you know you're still with us and you're still keeping that dream alive for me. And the rest of the guys. Well, I think the story is also really interesting, and I really love how the story went. You know, the fact that, you know, the decision you had to make, I think, fucking is just immense um, stuff. And your music, for me, has always been there for me. If if you do more, you do more. If you don't, you don't, because I've still always got this. So, um, (laughs) Cheers, man. I, I, I can't thank you enough for everything. So You're an absolute legend. Um, I might tap you for a, a second chat down the line if you're always sure, free. Um, thank you. Thank you for giving me your time, dude. I really, really, really fucking appreciate it, man. Yeah, and uh, likewise, straight back at you. Thanks so much. You've been sweet. Uh, you're so, a legend, yeah. and um, I'll speak to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Give me a last shot, lady Before I know it, I'll be stabbed
So that was my chat with Joel from Baptized in Blood. And at the end there, you heard the band's songs Last Line Lady, Game On, and Dirty's Back. All three of those tracks come from the band's self-titled album. Now, if you enjoyed that conversation with Joel or you enjoyed the music at the end there, get online and get into one of the best fucking albums you'll probably listen to this week. Fucking immense album, that is. And I still, to this day, jam it at least once a week. Unfortunately, as you heard, the band aren't touring and you're probably not going to be able to find any merch online. But I'm sure if you jump on eBay, you might be able to grab yourself a physical copy. So whatever you do, support Joel, support Baptized in Blood, and really get into some epic fucking tunes. Also got to take this moment to thank Joel again. Thank you so much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And I really look forward to touching base with you soon and doing another chat. And that's it. That's The Mosh Zone, episode 83, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.